0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We hope that today's message blesses your life. If you are interested in more of our content, you can visit us at cornerstonebv.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Cornerstone BV. If you are currently subscribed to our podcast, please note that over the next two weeks, we will be transitioning to a new podcast stream. Just search for Cornerstone BV Media in the Apple Podcast. Now, here's another message from Cornerstone Church. Thank you, Paul. Good morning. Perhaps I should introduce myself. My name is Joseph Davidson. Uh, You've probably heard about me. I've been hanging around Christmas time for a very long time, but you probably don't know very much about me. Uh, Sometimes I feel a a little bit like uh, uh, the father of the bride Nobody knows he's really there, but he has to pay for everything. So uh, I want you to know something about Christmas. You want to celebrate Christmas? I think that's a wonderful thing. But I want you to know that Christmas, the first Christmas, really challenged my faith. So let me tell you a a little bit about myself. My small claim to fame is that uh, I'm a descendant of David, Israel's greatest king. Now, that really isn't very much to uh, brag about because David lived about a thousand years before I came along. Uh, but when I came along, and there were also thousands of people that were descendants of David, and yet it was something that I was uh, proud of, something like, like the way you might be uh, uh, proud of being a, a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, say, or, uh, or perhaps you trace your lineage all the way back to the Mayflower. Well, that was, that was like that for me. When I lived, David had long since died, and the glory of his realm had long disappeared. We were living in moral and spiritual darkness. There were times in which things were so dark in my country that our people didn't even dare to dream about the future. Well, I grew up in uh, the town of Bethlehem. It's a little village about seven miles south of the capital city of Jerusalem. And it was difficult to make a living there. And so when I was a young man, I I traveled up to the hill country near the uh, Lake of Galilee. And I settled in a, a little town called Nazareth. Now, I am surprised that anybody knows anything about Nazareth. I mean, it's just a hamlet. It's not much of a town at all. It was so small, it was the butt of jokes. I mean, people used to say, can anything good Come out of Nazareth? Well, I want you to know I lived there and I wondered if anything good or bad could come out of Nazareth. I didn't go there though because it was such a great city. I went there to work my trade. You see, uh, I'm a carpenter. Now, that ought to tell you something a little uh, about me. You know, carpenters are practical people, we're not poets and philosophers. I like to work with things that you can handle and measure. You know, you have the saying too measure twice. Cut once, so did I. You know, there's a kind of spirit to wood that I enjoy. Um, Wood like cedar, aroma, pine or oak. Some wood can be as hard as metal, and others as pliable as clay. Now, uh, wood is an honest thing. And I understand that there are some of you who have doors in your homes that are hollow in the middle. Now, I don't mean to be insulting, but you really should be ashamed of yourselves. Don't you like wood? That's wood all the way through. I like that kind of wood. Wood that's all the way through. It's wood with integrity. I like that about wood. I like that about people, too. Well, times in Nazareth, they were very good for me. In fact, that's where I met Mary. When we met, she was almost 16 years old, a mixture of uh, the girl next door and a wonderfully confident woman. Before long, we were betrothed. Uh, Betrothal is uh, sort of like an engagement, except it's uh, much more serious, lasts about a year. And during that time, the families get to know each other, the, the uh, dowry is negotiated. And the most important thing is that the records in the temple are examined to find out um, uh, who we were. In a country as small and compact as ours, it would be very possible to marry a, a distant relative without even knowing about it. Well, during that time, I came to love Mary even more. Well, there were times when she would laugh, that her eyes would just dance and sparkle. And as a woman, she was as dependable as the pillars in the temple. She was very thoughtful. Um, She pondered life. Um, And and not only that, she could give voice to her thoughts in song. And I'll, I'll tell you, some of her songs were absolutely magnificent. Well, that time of betrothal was a time that I dreamed. I dreamed about our future. I thought about the house that I built for Mary and for the children who would come along later and, and uh, what it would be like to grow old together. It's strange, isn't it? How quickly, almost overnight, your dreams can turn into nightmares. I mean, your best plans lay shattered. I noticed that Mary had become withdrawn. And when I asked her about it, she just said, I can't talk about it. I had to go up to Capernaum in order to do some work. And while I was away, I wondered about her, her strange silence. I, I wondered if I had done something to offend her or perhaps to offend her family or, or maybe something was found in the temple that meant that we couldn't get married. Well, by the time I got back to Nazareth, I, I was just besides myself with worry. And I asked Mary, Not to shut me out of her life. But I was completely unprepared for what she told me. She looked at me and she said, I'm pregnant. And then she broke down in tears. (laughs) Of all the things that crossed my mind, that was never one of them. Pregnant? it wasn't me. If not me, who? And, and how And how did that go unnoticed by her own family? And we had love, we had trust and plans, and we had, we had dreams together. Well, I needed to ask her some very hard questions, but when she answered, it was more like a slap across the face. She told me that an angel appeared to her, a 16-year-old girl living in a fifth-rate little village that she was about to become Israel's, the mother of Israel's Messiah. And not only that, she told me something else that was even more preposterous. She said that the Holy Spirit came over her and planted this child in her womb. Well, I was furious. You know, it's one thing to betray our love, but it's quite another thing to tell me something that borders on blasphemy. I I I wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. I wanted to lash out. I wanted to hurt her just as much as she was hurting me. You know, back in our old law it says that a woman who's caught in adultery could be stoned to death. I understood that law. I want you to know I'm a righteous man. I try to live according to the scriptures. And I had a reputation in the community. As soon as people found out that Mary was pregnant, they would surely think that I was the father. And then my reputation would be destroyed. I was so angry that I wanted to make this thing um, public. I wanted to go to the elders at the gates of the city and explain to them that it wasn't me. I wasn't the father, but I couldn't do it. I loved Mary. Even though my trust was shattered and I felt like I could not marry her, I would not expose her to the public shame. So I decided to sever the thing quietly and just make up a story later on. Well, Mary knew that she couldn't stay in Nazareth. Uh, she knew that the gossip in that community would just be impossible to take. And so uh, she traveled south to Hebron uh, so she could be with her, her uh, aunt, uh, Elizabeth, and her husband, Um, They would give her a home and a place to stay. Um, They would protect uh, Mary. Uh, Elizabeth was something like a grandmother, even at times like a mother uh, to Mary. Well, after Mary left, I, um, I couldn't get her out of my mind. I'd work at my bench, and I couldn't pay attention to what I was doing. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And then, one night, I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking through this this really dark place, and and up ahead of me, there was a very bright light, and inside that light, there was an angel, and and I was terrified, and he said to me, Joseph, David don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that's in her is of the Holy Spirit. You are to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, well, when I awoke, I was absolutely overjoyed. I had a dream and a message from heaven. So I, I, I realized that what Mary told me was was true, and so I was so filled with joy. I, I got all my things, and I went down to Hebron as fast as I could, and I told Zechariah, and I told Elizabeth what I had seen and what I had heard. I, I told Mary that I was so sorry for not believing her word, and then... Um, then uh, we, we left uh, to go back to Nazareth, and I made her my wife, and, and I never touched her that whole time. Well, a wise man is supposed to know what time it is in his life, and I knew from that time forward that uh, things might be a little uh, different. I also realized that if God was in this thing, that he would just smooth the way for us. Even though there might be some difficulties, I was sure that God was in it and there'd be no troubles. Well, I told you, I'm a carpenter and I'm not a theologian. You can't imagine how wrong I was. Well, maybe you can. During uh, Mary's ninth month, Caesar Augustus sent out this decree to take a census so that all of us would be taxed. Now that meant that all of the males in the country had to go to their, uh, b- the, the place where they were born, their hometowns of birth. Now uh, I understand in, in your day that the census takers come to your house. Well, that never occurred to Caesar Augustus. So um, I made the trip I knew we'd have to make the trip to uh, my hometown, and and I wondered if I should take Mary along with me. Um, But when I thought about the criticism and the gossip that was in Nazareth, I I felt that any risk of going to Bethlehem was, was better than being subjected to that. And so we made the trip together. Three days, it was a hard journey. I knew by the time we'd get to Bethlehem that there would be people who would help us with what we needed. I had relatives there. I'm sure uh, they would take us in. What I didn't anticipate was the size of the crowd that would come because of the census. Our relatives had, had already taken in way more people than they could handle, and the trip started Mary's birth pains to begin. So I I searched desperately for some place for lodging. I looked at the caravansary where all the poor people go and that place was packed. Um, And eventually, in my desperation, I found a cave out on the very edge of town where a farmer keeps his oxen. At least we were out of the elements. Mary had to lay on the straw. Um, There was no place else, there was certainly no bed. There was nothing. So I lit a fire to keep us warm. And when Jesus came, I didn't know what to do. I'm a carpenter. Uh, so Mary had to be both, both midwife and mother. Well, I severed the cord, and then I, I cleaned the child as best that I could, and I wrapped him tightly in some cloths that we had that we brought along with us for the journey. And then I had to put him in a manger. Because the only other place to lay him was on the filth of the floor. You know, it was at that moment that I had all kinds of questions. If this wife of mine was highly favored of God, how do you explain a cave? How do you explain the dirt, the cattle, and the loneliness? The loneliness, nobody came from Jerusalem to celebrate the birth of our son, not even from Bethlehem. We were completely alone. Well, I, I suppose that's not exactly the case, uh, there were these shepherds, some real country bumpkins. They came in smelling of all, you know, wineskins and sheep. And they told us this story about an angel choir that had uh, revealed to them that our, our son was born. And they were supposed to come and take a look at our baby boy. And they did. And they marveled at him. And then they went off chattering about everything they had seen and telling everybody along the way. Well, all we felt was Loneliness. Mary and I are not made out of stone, and I felt bad for her, and so I just held her. Well, after all of the hubbub of the census died down, I decided we should stay in Bethlehem, and uh, I didn't want to go back to Nazareth with all of those comments that we were likely to hear, so uh, we rented a house, and I took on whatever jobs that I could get. And after we were there, about a year or so, uh, we had some other visitors, astrologers, from beyond the rising sun uh, you call it Iran they said they had seen a star and they followed it to Bethlehem and when they got there they went to our our king Herod just a maniacal king and asked him about a rival king to his throne that was to be born can you imagine well, he consulted with the priests, and they, they looked into the, the, the law of God, and, and there they found in Micah that there was a, a king to be born in Bethlehem, and so Herod sent him down to us. So, here we are. Here's my little boy. He was just a toddler at this point, he was just barely walking, and these pagan dignitaries walk in, they look at him, and they kneel down, and they worship him, our toddler, and then they give him some gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, and then they left. We were mystified. Uh, but as it turned out, we really needed those gifts. Let me tell you why. Almost immediately, I was warned in another dream that I was to take Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and Jesus and go down to, um, to, uh, to Egypt. And if not for that gold and the expensive perfume, uh, we could not have lived in Egypt. We were aliens, strangers in a strange land. Egyptians have no time for poor Jewish carpenters. So we saw that gold as a provision from God. Well, we stayed in Egypt for about two years, and after Herod died, we, we returned from Egypt. And I wanted to settle in Bethlehem because of the relatives and all, but there was still so much political unrest that uh, we decided that we'd pray about it. And, the, and, 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 and God directed us back to Nazareth. I didn't understand that. The God of the universe sent us back to Nazareth with all of its gossip, its raised eyebrows, and its dirty jokes. You know, when I was young, I used to think that if I just saw an angel one time, just like our forefathers had seen, that I would never doubt again. I'd always believe. But all I had at that point were many more questions. You know, there were times when I wondered if I loved Mary so much that I just made all this stuff happen. Now, I'll be honest with you: Jesus didn't seem much like a savior of the world. Oh, he—he he was good and he was obedient. Don't get me wrong. When he was an infant, Mary fed him at her breast. Uh, you know that song that you sing at Christmas time. Uh, A little town of Bethlehem, you know, the cows are lowing and everything. And then you sing, the poor little Jesus, no crying he makes. He cried? He was a baby. Back in Nazareth, he would come running to the house with all of his brothers and sisters. If he stumbled in the street and fell down and skinned his knee, it bled. I would hold Jesus on my lap. And I would tell him stories, and he would fall asleep. It's just that he wasn't that different than any other child. Well, there was this one incident when he was about 12 years old. Uh, we went down from, uh, uh, we went down to, uh, to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover feast, and, and we traveled with our relatives um, on, along the road because that was safer. And, and on the way back, we were gone, uh, maybe about a, day, a day's journey, and, and Jesus wasn't with him. We didn't know where He was. We lost him. Well we thought that he might be with the relatives, so I asked them around. They hadn't seen him. And I was mortified because now we had lost the Son of God. I didn't know what to do. So we retrace our steps, we climb the mountain to Je- Je- uh, Jerusalem, and here we find Jesus sitting in the temple, asking questions. Of the chief teachers of the people. Well, Mary, she went right up to him and she said, son, you have driven your father and me frantic. We've had no idea where you were. And Jesus looked up at us and he said, why did you have to look for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Now, that sounds really good in church, but when it comes from a 12-year-old boy, you don't know how to handle that. I had so many questions, so many doubts, but I could never express my doubts to Mary. Um, I could never let her know that I, I didn't have enough faith to shout down all of those questions. And I, and I couldn't talk to people in the village about it because they had much earthier explanations for Jesus' birth. In fact, they never let him live it down. There were times when they would throw it in his face. Well, I know it hurt. We weren't born of fornication, they would say. You have two fathers and we have one. You have your real father and then you have Joseph. You see, they just never let him forget about it, or me. So I just had to wrestle with that. The one thing I did have was a passage out of the Old Testament, 800 years before I came along. A prophet by the name of Isaiah said that a virgin would conceive and have a son and would call his name Emmanuel, which meant God with us. Just one sentence. There's 18 words, that's all but I held on to those 18 words with all my faith. It's really all I had. Now, I think some of you have faith like Mary's. It's obedient, it's strong, it's rich and devout. I I think you are God's special people. But some of you are probably more like me. You're, You're practical people. You live in a world of cause and effect, You like things you can touch and feel and and measure. You find it hard to believe unseen things. I've learned since then that faith has its moods. When I was confronted by that angel, there were times I thought I would never doubt again. And then there were other times when all I could think of was none of this makes any sense to me at all. Well, some of you were like that. You believe your doubts and you doubt your beliefs. Sometimes you wonder if you really believe at all. And I get that. All I can say is that when I had to face really tough questions, I just came down on the side of trusting God. I faced it through in spite of all my questions and my hurt. I felt like I had to trust even when I didn't feel like I could trust. But that's what God used. You see, I put my thumbprint on Jesus Christ. I taught him to be a carpenter and he was good. And he was also very creative. He could make an oxen yoke that was so smooth for them to slip into. Everybody knew that. And they they eventually called him the carpenter instead of me. So, you see, I I taught him that, and and I put my thumbprint on him. Of course, he is the Savior of the world, and he put his thumbprint on me. But it just wasn't easy. It's just that when I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, um, I had enough faith for that. Well, that's my story. I thought I would share it with you. Uh, I know you want to celebrate uh, Christmas and worship Jesus again, and you ought to. But I just wanted you to know that Joseph Davidson had something to do with all of that. And when God sent his boy to earth, he put him into the care of this carpenter, who sometimes believed his doubts and... Other times doubted his beliefs, but he faced it through. You might want to think about that at, at Christmas time. So no, I'm, I'm not the main character of this story, but uh, when you celebrate, you, re- you might remember that when God wanted someone to take care of his boy, um, he chose Joseph Davidson, a carpenter who believed in the best way that he could. You know, sometimes I try to imagine what that would be like, you know, to be a Bible character like Joseph and uh, be on the front lines of salvation history. And what ladies, what would it have been like for you as, as Mary? Would you have those kinds of responses that those people had? You know, the author of this certain sermon, hadn't Robinson, who is now at home with the Lord. Probably wondered and pondered those very same questions as he came to that text in Matthew 1 and wondered, what was that have been like for just a, a normal person? You know, we talk a lot about hope at Christmas time, and this year it seems to me that hope is more necessary than ever, and yet hope is more attacked than ever for many people. So, Christmas can be a really difficult time for people as they wrestle with their doubts about what God is doing in their lives. And and in order for us to be lights of hope in this world, let's remember some things about doubt. Those people who doubt are to be loved, they're to uh, be shown mercy. That's what Jude said in his letter show mercy to those who doubt, put on mercy. Don't judge, don't condemn, those things are easy to do, but mercy is what they need. As we come alongside people who are wondering, what in the world is God doing with me and my family and our life? Then put your arm around them in these sorts of ways. Help them to remember that um, doubt can be the birth pangs of greater faith, like Joseph, where temptations and trials and suffering come into our lives And while they are never enjoyable, um, they deepen our faith. They make us stronger. And they make us stronger in a way that we wouldn't expect. They make us stronger in the way of dependence on God. And let's help people to, to be able to live with the mystery. We can't explain everything about God. We, we pray, and, and we want His answers, and, and many times He will answer us, but sometimes He won't, and we are left with mystery, which I believe is a doorway into greater worship of God, because when we can't understand what God is doing, we can trust in His goodness and His character, and then you just live with the faith that you have. You got faith enough for something. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt our doubts, You know, when we go through times of doubt, we want to make sure that we also question our doubts. Christians, we can be sure that the central truths of our faith will never be outweighing our doubts. When we learn to doubt our doubts, our doubts will never overthrow our faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you have been with us in this year of amazing challenges and disappointments and losses, fears, but you are God. You never change. You never change your mind about your love for us. So today we thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. And we pray for those that we know or even those who are here or maybe it's ourselves. We pray, God, that our doubts will be a doorway into greater experiences of worship and intimacy with you that our doubts can never shipwreck our faith. Our doubts can never overwhelm us. And that you are well able to handle all those doubts and in its place put joy and hope and peace. And Lord, that's what we pray for today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.